This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Color Speak is truth talk for the renewing of your mind in all places and all seasons. Here you will find relevant restoration, which is to say, support and encouragement to fulfill your destiny in color awareness, because color is where you'll find God. Color is God. He is light and truth, and color is His love for you. It's a reminder of His promises and so much more. We are living in great times, my friends. Make no mistake about it. And God wants us to paint the world in His color to illustrate His goodness, His light in the dark. We are called to be transformed in it. Our destiny lies in the renewing of our minds there. So Color Speak is a platform where we share stories of His glory, of His signs and wonders and miraculous healings. We can be encouraged in all seasons to be all we were designed to be. But here's the disclaimer. To claim what is ours requires courage and a desire to pursue truth. This is inherent in our quest to bring the kingdom to greater light here on earth. With the way things are in the world, there has never been a better time to address the element of bravery in our call to destiny. We were made for such a time as this, and I know of no better way to start this third season than with my guest today. Since Color Speak first aired in December of 2020, things have changed a little in the world, and so our focus is changing as well. This season, the particular emphasis is on bravery, the bravery we are called to have in order to move forward into light. My guest today was born and raised in the southern part of Iran to a middle-class family who provided her many advantages, but couldn't shield her or themselves from the ravages of war. Tanine was just nine years old when bombs began to fall on her neighborhood, and her family was forced to abandon their belongings and flee their home. It was then that Tanine was catapulted into a new world that included poverty, mistreatment, and suffering, along a path littered with dead bodies. At the age of 18, she witnessed the execution of her best friend for a faith that wasn't Islam, as well as many other friends and friends' children on the gallows for the same reasons. Even so, that didn't keep her from speaking out. Tanine was jailed twice for being rebellious to the government. She survived. As she survived being handed over to an older man, an American citizen, by her grandfather in an arranged marriage at the age of 15. After years of abuse, she found herself standing on a bridge in downtown Kansas City one night to take her own life. She didn't jump. She ended up in a Christian church. Today, we will hear the story of the bravest woman I know. And it is a pleasure and an honor to welcome Tanine to the show. And let me tell you two things. First of all, I was already tearing up before I started recording. (laughs) And secondly, we are using a fake name to protect Tanine. So welcome, Tanine. Hi. It's so, so good. You made me tear up too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I got to just say, I got to just tell our listeners, we actually met over a year ago. Yeah. It was all God who put us in yes. touch with one another. 
we were at the same coffee shop and you blew in the door, this radiant beam of sunshine. (laughs) And you were just glorious. And you sat down next to me and I thought, this woman is so lovely. And, you know, it's just one of those impulsive moments where you get a prodding from the Holy Spirit that made me say anyway, you are so adorable. I think I said you are so beautiful or something. I don't know. (laughs) You were just radiant and you have the most beautiful smile. And that was it. You sat down next to me and we started talking and I heard your story then. And we've been talking about having you on the podcast for a year. And this was it. The timing was right. You're kicking off a new season with a very important message. And I'm just so thrilled that it worked out. Thank you. Thank you, Janet, for the great introduction. Um, I'm honored to be here with you. I'm honored that I'm your friend. And um, the day that I met you, I told you, if you remember, um, God wanted us to meet. And I knew my story has to get out. It did at, um, to some extent, but not as published as it should be. And I'm glad. I'm so happy that I'm here now. I'm so happy <laughs> too. And I... I talked about you for days and I've been talking about you over the course of the year because your story is remarkable and I feel honored that the Lord connected us so I could hear it. And I'm so happy to have you share it here. So without any further ado, let's just get into it. So I've, I've basically taken everything and shrunk it down into just a very small tidbit in the introduction. But let's start back in Iran. You grew up fairly privileged. Yes, um, the town that I lived in or I was born in um, was an industrious town and it still is. But back then in Shah's regime, um, 50 years ago, it was one of the richest, uh, most advanced, I would say, town in the country. And I can um, I can say with faith that it was one of the most um, advanced town in the Middle East back then, because and my town was one of the the first town, I believe, the first town in 150 years ago that um, the oil was found in Iran. Um, so oh, there were okay. American people and British people who, American and British engineers and um, um, industrial people who came to my country and helped the um, the oil companies to flourish and develop. Um, so yes, my my life was great till age nine. Uh, my whole family, entire family, I can, I can count everybody. Uh, in my dad's side and my mom's side, both, uh, were uh, builders. They were all, uh, mm-hmm. came from like 200 years, uh, 150 years ago when the, the oil companies started to, um, being built. They came to build, uh, build, um, buildings over their town, that their town, it wasn't a town. It was just a, a a semi-island or something like that. So they were building um, housing for the uh, workers of these oil companies. Uh, my grandfather okay. and his cousins my from my mom's side, my grandfather from my dad's side, my dad, my uncles, whoever you can either. They were like architectural engineers. They were builders. They were something to do. Each one of them had something to do with building, with um, housing. So, um, and the town was, was pretty, 
I mean, during the Shah's regime, the whole country was flourishing and it was economically was getting better and better every day. But my town in particular, it was much more westernized than the rest of the country Mm -hmm. because it was exposed already for many, many years to Western culture. I see. So, and I, as I stop you there, I just want to say, I don't know that mm-hmm. you know this. I come from a family of builders too. My oh, maternal grandfather was a general contractor and did all sorts of building. I had an uncle who mm-hmm. built McDonald's across Europe. I guess he was in charge of all of the McDonald's wow. in Europe, the building. My dad was a, an awesome. architect himself. So, and I'm married to an yep. engineer, so this is perfect. So I love it. So oh, you awesome. all were flourishing yeah. and you had a pretty good life. I know you mentioned in yes. that you were the oldest child and and you yes. were treated royally. And the only girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the only girl in the family. Uh, my uh, mom's um, uh, part of the family are Turkish from, um, not from t- uh, Turkey. They are Turkish from um, the a, a providence called um, Charmal Bakhtiari, and they everybody from my town Abadan is from different parts of the country mm-hmm. originally. Like ancestors are from different parts of the country, so our parents were born in Abadan, and their and our great pa- grandparents and great grandparents came from different parts of the country. So mine, particularly my mom's side, were Turkish, and um, they have strange, um, very strange. Um, admiring um, culture that since I was the firstborn child in the family and I was the firstborn um, grandchild and the first great-grandchild, I was much more um, privileged, but I had a lot of other responsibilities Mm -hmm. because I had to be um, the role model. So I I had it pretty good. I had it pretty good all my life. on top of everything else that I had, like everything else that all my siblings and my cousins we had in the town that we were living at, and we were children. So what changed that? I know you mentioned bombs were falling. The war. Yeah, Yeah, the war. The war between Iraq and Iran. Mm -hmm. Uh, My town was the first town that was hit by Iraqis when they invaded my country. And the town Horamshah, right by my town, was also destroyed. Um, we evaded. My uncle and my dad were um, in contact all the time. They were talking. They were talking. It was unbelievable. But we would we could hear the the bombs all the time coming. But our soldier, our our kids, like the younger um, guys, they're up front and they wouldn't let Iraqis come in the town. But um, at the time that they were fighting, they were really like standing up for us. But at the time that the bomb came to my neighbor who were living and they were gone um, at that point. We didn't know. I mean, but I'm pretty sure they were gone because most neighborhood was empty. Um, everybody was fleeing the country, the, the town. Um, when the bomb came there, my, my dad was like, get in the car, mm-hmm. get in the yeah. car. I remember that I had a doll that I got in third, third grade that year um, for um, being the honor student, and I left it behind. Eventually, I found that doll back um, in my in our destroyed house, half destroyed house. When we went back, and I remember that was one thing that for the eight years of war, I was just like crying over. So you were <laughs> gone for eight years. Missing. Yes, and then you were yes. able to return and After find I, some of your things. We returned, That's but, amazing. but 
we lived we lived only for one year and uh, the town is not anymore the town that we left behind mm-hmm. it's it's destroyed and it, it never recovered never recovered back and i can't imagine that you really ever fully recovered as a 9 year old who was forced to flee under those no. circumstances and i know that you mentioned yes. that there were dead people that you had to pass by that's yeah. not what a 9 year old generally has to deal was, with yeah it was um, seeing the dead bodies and going through um, some parts of the town. My dad was trying the best for us not to let us see anything. But um, most of the dead bodies also that I saw it was um, after we flew out of the country because we had a lot of people getting killed in the mm-hmm. war and they're coming there. They were bringing their the, um, bodies. So cousins, second cousins, family members, it was just, like saying goodbye to them. And I was young, very young, but very mature. And it made me more mature even. It made me more realize what life is about and how heroes are becoming heroes and how did they um, save my town and how did they free my town after or my country afterwards also. It was, it was, um, it was an experience. Yeah, I I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. And then you later on, and I know that I I said this wrong in the intro, you weren't 15. He was 15 years older than you and you were forced to be married. But before that, so many other things happened. Or you were 26, right? Yeah, no, I was 20. Yeah, I was 25, 26. Yeah, I just turned 26 when I married um, this gentleman who was 15 years older than me. But um, that was just the norm in that part mm-hmm. of the country, particularly. It was, um, I, it was my only option, and I thought it was okay. Now, was, but, had he been married before? Uh, yes, he had been married to an American wife. He, he actually was one of those, those students who came on a scholarship um, to United States. And um, if you guys remember, most of the Iranian um engineers or Iranian students came, um, the Shah gave him a scholarship to come to United States, study and come back to the country. And during that time, the, the, the revolution happened and they never, most of them didn't come back to the country. Um, so he was one of those people who came on a scholarship. He stayed here. He married an American wife. Um, he had been married once and, um, had one child and he, was divorced. He came back when I was 26. He came back and um, and uh, was looking for a wife. And he had apparently seen like 150, 200 girls. And his um, his niece knew my mom and had a picture of me. And that's how they came to my house. Asked my mom. My mom. My dad very was very disagreeing because he didn't want me to marry people from that town because he already, I already wrote it in my um, book. Um, that town culture was just a culture shock for all of us. It was an art culture. Oh, the town um, that you had been transported to. Or, uh, yes, gotcha. after the war. Right. Yes, yes. So very, very fundamental. It's very uh, like not, not our culture, not matching our culture. But my grandfather knew his dad. So he was like, I know his dad and um, he was deceased. His dad was deceased by that by then. And my grandfather was like, um, this is the best match for you. Okay. So that and was my also, question. I was wondering what was the, why was it advantageous then to marry you to him who had been divorced, who had come back from the States? And you're saying that it's, they weren't fun. You weren't, your family wasn't fundamental. Are you talking about 
Islam? Yeah. They were more fundamentalists. Islamic okay. fundamental. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My dad wasn't ever like so like how, how do you I, I don't know how to explain it. There are um two different right now you see right. that there there are people who are really like religious religious. There are people who are religious and government affiliated. My family wasn't either. Okay. We were spiritual more. We were um yes, we were religious to some extent. My dad always had believed that um, we were Zoroastrian, Iranian people were Zoroastrian to begin with, thousands of years ago. And 1400 years ago, we were, our king was um, forced by Islam to make his people Muslim, and we are Muslim by, not by choice, every government who has came, by, by choice of culture and by choice, by um, force of culture and by force of the governments in, uh, during this 1400 years ago. Um, that was his opinion, though. Okay. But uh, there is still, if you look at it, uh, Iranian people, we are still like going by the Persian calendar. We don't go by Islamic calendar. We are New Year's. The biggest holiday in, in our year is our, is Nowruz, which is a Zoroastrian New Year's. Okay. We go by the Cyrus the Great um, uh, mantra. Um, so we are, we have still kept all those, uh, all those values from Zoroastrian cult and, uh, religion, not practicing Zoroast Zoroastrianism, uh, per se, but mixed it with Islam. So, um, my point is that the, the Arab Muslims, Middle Eastern Muslims, Muslims from Saudi Arabia, they are pure Muslims. They are mm -hmm. different than us. And there are Shias and Sunnis sure. and 72 different religions. But my dad was always like, just do good, be good, think good. So I think that's a, and, that's and I'm sorry the, to interrupt you, that's, that's an person. important distinction to yeah. make because I think a lot of our listeners might just assume that everyone is Muslim in Iran. And that's certainly not the case. So your family was no. was less inclined and felt like it was more an obligation. Yeah. It was sort of more a, a cultural yeah. experience, it sounds like. Yeah. So yeah. what yeah. happened to, because I think I got a little ahead of things when I talked about your your marriage, because I know that is part of that timeline. Yeah. But before that happened, I really want to zero in too on your bravery during your college years and your arrests, <laughs> multiple, obviously, and then also... Let's let's back up to even when you're 18 and you witness the death of your best friend because she yeah. she's executed for her religion. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, if anything can bring tears in my eyes, that would be her death. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sorry. Um, Is it okay? No, that's okay? Are you okay to talk about um, it? Yeah, okay. that's okay. I can't talk in detail about all those years because it's it's just bringing a lot of memories back, especially yeah. now what, with what's going on in my country because I'm living the life that I lived before, um, thousands of miles away again, and it's it's sad because I can't do anything. I'm here. Um, I've done a lot back then, not a lot. I mean, people. More people have done more than I do. People have sacrificed their lives for for our freedom to to regain our freedom uh, from this. I just want to stop down there. That brings tears to but, my eyes, uh, my friend. Because yeah. how many of us are willing to do that here? I mean, things are getting out of control oh, in right. the United States. Yeah. How many people are willing to stand up against it? it? You know, like you did. Just look at the nurses. We are short staffed. Yeah. We are suffering, and I keep saying. If we could have only 
realize what the power we have as women, as nurses, as men nurses, we would have stand together and we would have asked for our rights. This is just not right sometimes. I mean, I mm. know this is not right. I agree. So you see what's going on in New York right now. The nurses are having um strike, which is really right. sad. It's really scary. But at the same time, uh, it's more sad that the nurses are not getting it's not about the pay. It's not about the work. It's about the work condition. It's very, very hard to mm-hmm. work in those conditions. But we are not doing it here. I mean, I don't know what mm-hmm. makes, I don't know why we are not um, standing up together and doing yeah. something well, to get something done, to get something accomplished. Which is why we have to talk yeah. again, because you and I talked about <laughs> yeah, that earlier. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be just one episode. Yeah. But And I forgot to mention that in your bio, that you're now a nurse, which is so huge. So, so, yeah, so. Back so backing up college, a little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, you. Are, I just want to say you're so brave. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just, I love you thank so you. much. <laughs> so the death of my best friend, I met this girl um, who, by the way, had the same real name that I have. And um, I get, I met her in high school and she was Baha'i. Baha'is back then and still mm-hmm. up to date are not accepted religion by the government. They are um, being executed for the past 43 years and and rarely ever anybody talks about them. Um, all over the con- all over the country, they were being executed. I happened to be living in a. When we came after the war, when we came to this town, Esfahan, we created a little a small town um, for ourselves. And I mean, all the Abadani people, they just gathered over there. They start. We started buying houses over there or renting houses over there. So it was a little small community of us just protecting each other. And it happened that we, the Baha'i people lived in that town also. It was a quiet um, corner um, away from the, the, it was a suburb area that it was much more safe than the city. So um, I got to know a lot of Baha'i people, um, grew up with them, a lot of, um, like my best friend, my brother's best friend, uh, my sister's best friend, all their Baha'is. My te- one of my tutor's teachers were, was um, uh, was Baha'i. And uh, I grew up seeing a lot of them going to jail, a lot of them getting executed only because their religion was Baha'i. They didn't do nothing. They mm-hmm. didn't say nothing. They could. They would just come and get them, put them in jail. And um, most of the time for girls, they would um, execute them at age 18. Um, I met this girl when she was in a high school. Nobody would talk to her. In that town, I told you, they're pretty religious, very fundamentalist. So they would believe mm-hmm. that this girl is has... Uh, Literally, they, the, the, the high school girls would believe that, um, this human being, beautiful human being has, um, um, Satan in her and it's not, she's not clean. So if she would have drink from the water fountain, nobody would drink after her. That's what they believed. That's what literally but, they believed. So, but you befriended, I befriended her. her. Yes. I was, uh, pretty much mm-hmm. the only friend I had with her because we lost contact because she quit going to school and I didn't know where she was for a year, a year and a half. And that was normal for Baha'i people because they were always threatened. So they had to move, go back, go to this town, go to that town, hide. A lot of them immigrated to United States and, uh, or other countries. 
But um, mm -hmm. in that town, it was normal that they would just disappear because they were hiding from the government. And I got back with her again. We graduated high school. Right after graduation was the time that they, I've heard that she was in, um, in jail and, and she may be executed. I mean, we knew it. They, the government wouldn't tell us that she's going to be executed, but it was, she was 18. And that was just, just something that her family was suspecting. I was suspecting a lot of people, but nobody would say anything. So her death was, um, and a lot of other things that I saw throughout, throughout my life in, um, during growing up and seeing injustice unjust in that town. It, it made me um, go through a rage and and questioning my religion, questioning my government, questioning everything. I got to know, I mean, I knew her family. She got to come home, um, spend the night with her family, just said hi, bye together. I just met her at her door, had, at her house door for a few minutes, not knowing that she's going to be executed the next day. Okay. So how did they execute her? Because I know you the, said you saw the, your dad's best friend's son on the gallows. Was that, that something was, you saw a lot with gallows yes, with bodies yes, on they them? They would bring them in and, and they are still doing it. But right now, because of the revolution, they don't bring them out. Right now, if you are hearing in the news, the last execution was these two young boys, 122, 130, I believe. For, um, I mean, they couldn't, it, it's just like, if you go and look them up, um, they, they did them in the, in the, and jail, but back then they were the government had more was more brave to do this in public. They would bring them in the public and they would invite people and they had their own people to come. It was so sad to see that the people would come to watch this execution and they would not be happy, but they would come and watch but sadder than that was that the schools sometimes would make us to go they um, we had uh, mm. like a teacher at school that was the guard teacher and she would pick people, pick students to go and, um, or, or the government, um, guards, they would ask you to come and watch or make their families to come and stand by. Um, so you had no choice. You had no choice because you knew if you say no, it's going to be, you're going to be next. Right. And, and still have. you, instead of being, obviously, they're trying to create oh, yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah. But for you, totally. you say that you, it sounds to me like, and I, I, I want you to speak into this, if you that were put indeed me fearful, to rage. but you were angry. That put me to anger. Yeah, you were angry. So That's amazing to me. So when I started going to college, um, I was just like very introvert. I started like paying more attention to things that was going on. Um, back then, the, the war just stopped and my town um, had a budget from the government um, to rebuild the town and I noticed that the budget was going in the in the little um, college that I was accepted um, I was seeing that the college dean was stealing um, the rice the oil and um, like they were sending cooking stuff for the students of my town that were, were accepted to that college because, and they, they had our own um, dorm. The government was trying to have a budget for us after the war. It was the, after the war budget. But the um, 
people from the government, including, I mean, anybody from the top, including um, the college dean, they were stealing all of these. And then, yeah, I said something. I caught him and it was me and two other friends, one of my uh, two other um, uh, classmates in that college, which I'm not going to name it or name anybody right now. Mm -hmm. But... um, they all caught him. It was late in the afternoon. We were studying in the yard of the, it was a very small building. They gave it to us to just go to school over there. And it wasn't a big, um, we didn't have our own even college campus yet. We had a little small building that they made at the campus. So we were sitting there and, um, we saw that the truck of these, um, rice and goodies and everything comes and he went home there and he just told them to go behind the, the building and we were like, what's going on? And being a young 19 year old, 18 year old, I wanted to know what's going on. And I already like was hearing this from my dad, my other people that the government is, is stealing money from people. So I started being a little bit brave. I went to him first and I said, that's ours. That's for the students. And he said, yeah, they're going to bring wow. it to you. A week and two weeks pass, and I'm talking to other students, and they said, no, we never got that. They say they give us goodies and rice and everything. We never, I was, it was my freshman year. I wasn't aware of what, what was going on. So I pushed it and pushed it, and I got to the point that me and my my best friend or my classmate and the other one, we went to, we found ourselves finding out even larger um, ceiling. Um, when we went to um, the city to like talk about these guys stealing our goodies, we found out that they are stealing even more stuff, like the heat, mm-hmm. cooler, um, larger um, uh, supplies and everything. I was very naive. I didn't know. I mean, back then it wasn't a norm to know that the government people are stealing money from the from the people. So um, I talked about it. I got myself there, but they don't make it very obvious that you are political. So they apparently they were following us, all three of us. They were following us and we were standing in a corner of one of the streets close to the dormitory uh, with two other guys exchanging a dictionary book that we needed. Um, And they were they called us. All of a sudden, we saw the guards are coming around us and they just like jump on us and very brutally put us in. The, and I'm like, we are like, me and my friend are like, what's going on? What did we do? Oh, you guys are talking to guys. Okay, we are exchanging books. We are fully covered and everything. No, you guys are talking. You guys are boyfriend, girlfriends. Back then, they could get you for that. And you're oh, showing dear. your, you're showing your, your hair. That was my, mm. that was my biggest, biggest one. So you were showing your hair. A little was bit their allegation. It was just a few hair. It wasn't even like no. Yeah, that was the, the allegation was that we were talking to guys. Okay, so let me just pause right there. So essentially, what has happened is you've called attention to the fact that the food is yeah. being stolen. They don't like it. You're outside yeah. talking yeah. to yeah. a group of people where you're you're exchanging a dictionary, yeah. and the guards pounce on you. And yeah. the allegations are that you are mm-hmm. flirting, or you have a boyfriend, or whatever. And oh, by the way, your hair is showing. Yeah. So Next that's thing that's you a know, problem. You are in jail. Okay. Yep. Next thing you know, you are in jail. Um, 
in the local jail first. I didn't go to prison first. Um, I didn't. Thank God. I had my dad to go and beg the um, the imam of the of our town, and I was like, I didn't do nothing. I had to just beg them and beg them, but I was, I mean, long story short, I was um, not allowed to go back to that college again or any college. Again. It was. Oh, so they took your education away from my, you in the yeah, process too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was. And then I got slashed, and during that time also there was. I remember there was a pregnant lady who was um, who was also captured by her with her um, husband and and her family. They were in a, in a car. Apparently they had music out loud, and they got her also for showing her hair. And I remember this. Um, she was sentenced for slashes, and I was slashes. So what does yeah, that mean? Uh, hitting by a wire. The cable. Uh, oh, what do you dear. call it? Okay. okay. So I know that's, what you mean. that was uh, a 28 day, day jail was my, my sentence for the, the, I mean, that was part of it. And then you get the slash. I mean, it was like hundreds of slash or something. So you had the lashes too, lashes, in addition yeah, to being in jail. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry, lashes. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I know, I know what you meant. <laughs> yeah. So, so you I had, had also. That, and I was seeing the pregnant lady being in front of me. And I was like, um, can you give her lashes to me instead of hitting her, please? She's pregnant. And for that, again, they took me back to the jail for two more days. And I got my, yeah. Yeah. So you never got, she got her lashes. You got more and more jail time. I got more. Yeah. But I got more, more jail time. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, what? What are you talking about? She, the, the guard lady, she slapped me in my face. I just backed up and, then they held me and they and my friend was like, could you not say anything? Could you just stop it? But anyways, um, yeah, so, you're so brave. So, yeah, me and my um, the, my friend, the other friend that we had and she was she came with us. She disappeared. She got released, released so quickly the first um, couple hours because her dad was um, government affiliated. We never saw her again. Mm. Yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. wasn't there someone you told me that was willing to sleep with the guards that also got out? There was also, yes, yes. There was in the line that we were standing and they were checking us all. And there was a beautiful, gorgeous girl. And she just put her, my, I was looking at her hand and she had her hand up to the guard and she had her phone number on. And she said, just give them your phone number. I said, I'm not from here. I don't even have a phone. It was back then we didn't have cell phones. She didn't have cell phone either. It was her house phone number. Apparently she knew that's the way out and she did mm. give her, her, her phone number and they walked her very politely out there and the guard who was talking to her, I saw in the yard of the jail and, and very, I mean, very quietly she walked out and she said, just give me a phone number. Just tell them you sleep with them. And I was like, I would never do that. But let me just say, you are beautiful as well. And I I know that that time in the jail wasn't easy for you. Oh, no, no. Um, I've told so many people, I don't know how I didn't get killed. I don't know how I didn't get executed. And I don't know how I didn't get raped. These mm-hmm. two, I'm grateful, grateful uh, for the for all my in my all my life for and that I those nasty guards never touched me. 
I mean, Praise God. I know how. Like, it's Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. He had plans for you. And weren't you, were you jailed another time? The other time, yes. It was for another story. It's, I'm not going to go through detail again. And okay. that was, yeah, that was the game. Well, suffice it to, to say, police. oh gosh. Yeah. Well, you would do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I know you. I, I know you well enough now. Like, wrong. well, yeah. I just, I just, again, I just want to drop down, okay, for our listeners' sake, and say, how you know, I think we need to all take an example from you, Tanine. Your bravery is remarkable, and I'm just, I'm just Thank speechless, you. honestly, that you had to endure all of the trauma that you did, and that somehow the Lord used it mm-hmm. for good. Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. you weren't you weren't coward in fear. You were you were stepping forward bravely and as a result you were rewarded with yeah. supernatural protection. It's, clearly. It's always, always. When you are doing something for um when you're doing something right and you know God wants you to do that, um, never question yourself. He's gonna he's gonna protect you. I thought I'm gonna be fired from my even my current job for saying some stuff, doing some stuff. But I, no, no. When you are right, you're morally, ethically right. Um, God always have your back. Always. Amen to that. You hear that, ladies? I just, uh, yeah, we, you are the poster child for bravery. So I know that you have so much more to your story, but to condense it, the long and short Mm -hmm. of it is you ended up in an abusive marriage. Oh yeah. You were, you were, here in the United States, mm-hmm. you, I just, I guess I want to get to the part where you discovered that Christianity, that Jesus is who he says he is, mm-hmm. but you had to get through all of these other things first, including yeah. spending a night where you were on a Kansas City bridge. Yeah. And I don't know that you necessarily want to talk about that and you don't need to, but just tell me, how did, how did you circle back around? How did, how did the Lord reveal who he is to you. Cause I can tell you, here's, here's my perspective from and my little tiny tidbit. I so Jen, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I didn't know. I knew there was a God. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you would have to be daft not to see mm-hmm. that there was a God, that there oh, is no. a God. Yes. But in life, so many people miss who he is. They, yes. we, we miss identifying who he is. And for yeah. me, all it took one day was I looked up at the sky and I said, okay, I give. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's so many options. I want to know who you are. And that's when I found that it was Jesus. Mm-hmm. How did you find, how did you find yourself in a Christian church? So I'm a firm believer of God. And I said it at the beginning, um, I have faith. I never lost my faith. Even when I was on that bridge, I, for a moment, for a moment, I may have lost my faith because I was like, there is no other way that I can survive. I can't. I just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was raised Muslim grew up Muslim. When I got divorced, I was um, pretty much like outcasted from uh, uh, so many people. I was like not, I don't know if I say I, I wasn't welcome or it wasn't a norm. I was a role model for everybody and all of a sudden I went down like you are the bad person because they mm-hmm. didn't know what was going on. They didn't know he was hitting my son and I just waited, waited, waited till I got graduated from my uh, degree and I wanted to get my son out and I still could wait more longer but I first of all I didn't want to second of all I did it because my son's life was in danger 
So, um, yes, I got divorced. I never regretted that. But um, people judged me. I stepped in the mosque. We have a little mosque here in somewhere in Kansas City. I stepped in the mosque and I, I never forget that I was asked questions that humiliated me. I was um, looked down at. Maybe I felt it that way, but I did. I did, but I, I was looked down. So I never went back to the mosque. I mean, I'm not a religious person. I wouldn't go to the mosque often, but it was a funeral or something that I wanted to go and say um, hi to the uh, people. But I was totally like um, outcasted in that during mm. that time, and I was like totally ignored uh, by the friends that they I had. Like I don't know. Uh, for multiple years, I've had parties at my house. I had we had we've done everything together. But no, I wasn't welcome. I wasn't welcome, and mm. I knew I would I shouldn't go there because I'm a divorced woman, and I don't have to go there anymore. So I got myself a little bit deviated from not a little bit. I got myself deviated. Not only I did it; they, my community, disowned me pretty much. I say mm. that bravely. I mean, if they come and say no, we didn't. They did. They put me. They invited my ex-husband for um, Christmas time for, uh, but they wouldn't invite me or they wouldn't reach out to me. A year later, they all found found out that why why did I really the real reason for my divorce? So they came back. They wanted me to go back to their um, parties or community or being with them, but no, that that hasn't happened. Ever again. I mean, mm-hmm. my heart is not going there. I love them to death. I, I love them all. They're good people. But you don't judge somebody that you haven't uh, walked in their shoes. I, I put yeah, a I good portrait of my marriage. I never told anybody what my ex-husband did to my son, what he was doing to us. I really portrayed my life really good. Mm-hmm. So there was no reason for them to not to think that way. So it's okay. I forgave everybody, and I do easily, but mosque wasn't my option. Right. Um, it was New Year's Eve, the Christmas, they didn't, um, they didn't invite us, and I put it in my, um, my book. I don't want to talk about the other parts, but, um, I was financially broken, very, very broken to the point that I called my ex-husband and I said, can you loan me? It, it wasn't a few days before or a few weeks before I called him and I said, I'm getting my check cash tomorrow. And I was working four jobs as a nurse, believe it or not. And I was no, I still broken. It. I was still broken. Um, people don't believe that. People say, oh, my nurse is making a lot of money. How? How? I don't want to go through detail. But Well, you um, had a lot of expenses, of course. Oh, I did. Yes, I did. So I um, asked him for $10. Give me ten dollars to go to um mcdonald and get food for my kids one night and he said he always had cash up to ten thousand dollars in the house i knew him and he said no you shouldn't think about divorce and i was like it's your kids and he didn't give it to me he hung up so um the mosque happened the ex-husband wouldn't help me i was financially broken like literally literally down on the ground I was spiritually to the point that I cannot go even to talk to my God, to place that I go and pray. I could pray at home, but I couldn't at the same time. You know, sometimes you want to go to that place that you are used to talk to your God. Yeah. For you Christians, it's church. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the mosque. 
I couldn't go there. I didn't have anybody to talk to. My son is sitting in the basement on New Year's Eve and he's like, mom, we don't have a New Year's Eve. They, dad took my daughter to, um, Christmas party, Iranian's Christmas party, and I'm home and I don't have dinner. I can get something for myself and you're out. He didn't know what I was doing. I was just driving around the town thinking about how am I going to make the next day. And I had, then I was divorced and I was like, um, my first experience of a date that turned out after like a few months, I found out that he was not the right person for me. So I was um, heartbroken too at the same time. Then it was the time that I was, God, please, where do I find you? And I don't know how did I get on that bridge. It was, I think, the bridge that um, it was in downtown. I never went back there, but it was, I had been there before. If I go back there, I can find it. It's not a bridge that a lot of traffic goes on it. It's very seldom traffic. It's more for the um, walking, but I went there and I was standing and I remember I had my phone and I wanted to destroy my phone first or delete everything. And all of a sudden the, the breath of air in my face, my hair is going back and I'm just remembering my mom, nobody else, my mom and then my two children. And then all of a sudden my son calls me and his picture comes on the phone and I came out of it. I was standing there. And I came out of it and I was like, what about him? <clears throat> what about God? What about my daughter? It, I stepped down and I was like, I was broken, too broken. I went to the parking lot of church. I don't know if it's okay if I name the church, but this church that I've heard, it's good. And I have been told my, by my couple of my friends uh, from my work place friends that you should if you really want to talk to God you should go to this church and they're welcoming everybody Muslims everybody I was not brave enough to go stepping in in a place that is not my religion so I didn't know nothing I mean I knew about Christianity but I didn't know that much um, so I went to the parking lot and I said Jesus and I looked at that cross on this this church and I told him if you're real and they say you save people save me save my mm. life save my kids oh, save save my um sanity save my faith please please help me make it through and he did he did yeah. i did it's a similar prayer to what night. i prayed i it love was, it yeah <laughs> it was my first experience <clears throat> of like really Faith is going to get you through a lot of things. My first time, I, I've, I've had it. I've had it when my best friend died. I had it when I was questioning God all the time, but I never lost my faith and I never had to find it back. But this time was the time that I almost lost it. I lost it pretty much when I was trying to take my own life. But then I had to wake up and say, no, this is not it. There is something better out there. There is something better. I I know God is not going to leave me alone. And then uh, I didn't sleep much that night. I went home. I got a couple hours of sleep. The next day I was like a train wreck. Looked mm -hmm. like a train wreck. I literally walked in and it was, it's New Year's Day. Just 
imagine New Year's Day of 2016. The church door is open. I never knew the churches are open. They are closed on New Year's Day. I didn't know. I knew nothing about churches. (laughs) So I walked in and I went straight to this cafeteria. A bunch of women are sitting there doing crochet. Apparently there was a woman crochet group. They were sitting there and doing it. This church had a lot of women's group and they were... And I asked this lady behind the cafeteria um, register, I said, um, is there any place that I can uh, pray here? She looked at my eyes and she was like, she came around the counter and she said, let me take you to, yes, she said, yes, there's a sanctuary over there. And then she came around the counter and she held my arm and she said, let me take you to a, a more private sanctuary that you can pray. And she took me to this more private sanctuary, which I felt like at ease, at peace. Mm. I've never felt so comfortable. The tears were coming. She gave me a hug and she said, I hope whatever you are praying for comes true. Come, uh, Your wish comes true. Your prayers um, are answered. And I will pray for you. And I thanked her. I never expected a Christian a woman or uh, or anybody embraced me like that. I never expected that kind of welcoming. I mean, we are Iranian. We are hospital. Our hospitality is on top. But at that yeah, point, you I you are that. known for your hospitality. Yeah, we are. Muslims are very hospitable people. Yes. But I guess you never realized. I never knew. That, no, I never knew yeah. what the other religions yeah. are. So I sat mm-hmm. there, I prayed, and. Then I emailed the pastor of the church and I said, can I come to your, um, to your church? And the next Sunday I went there. Um, and I, I never, uh, to me, to mention that it's a, it's a funny story. I never saw that woman again. I never looked for her. And that was the beginning of my new life. That was, mm. I mean, I've learned so much ever since I stepped in that church i've learned so much about myself i've learned so much about god i've learned so much about islam more about islam than i've ever learned in my life in my own country and i've learned so much about christianity and i'm still learning i'm still learning but um i learned so much about love how this religion is based on love and how we are i mean i i was used to terror and name of God is just causing you to be scared and scared of hell and scared of being executed and scared of being beaten and everything. But So, um, Tanina, I've always heard that if you were to ask a Muslim mm-hmm. if he or she were to die today, would they be assured of the place they were headed? And I've always understood that the answer would be no, because who knows if Allah will find me acceptable or not. Is that yes. true? That there's that's no guarantee? That's what we've been taught. So I had mm-hmm. actually, I had this great conversation with my mom today <laughs> about oh, this. Oh, good. And I said, I wish, um, as you know, my um, country people are going through a hard time. A lot of people are losing their faith in God. Mm-hmm. They said there, there is no God. Why? Because they have been exposed to a God that um, these Ayatollahs have brought, have educated them. We've been educated on God by 
Islam for many, many years, thousands of years or, or hundreds of years. And it's always been the God that he's going to take you to heaven. If you, are, if you do this, if you do that, it's always conditional. Whereas mm-hmm. in Christianity, it's you are, if you are a good, if you believe in God, you're going to go to, to uh, heaven. If you accept right. Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. And that's accepting God. It's nothing different. So, um, a lot of people I'm seeing more and more, especially young generation are losing faith in God, losing, they don't believe in it anymore. So I was telling my mom, my mom is, um, is very, not very, but somewhat religious and she's, she's still believing and she's still a, a good Muslim. I call her. She covers, mm-hmm. she prays and everything. And she was like, um, we were talking about it and I said, I wish people in Iran would have known that we all are going to go to heaven and they wouldn't be scared of going to hell for fighting against this government. It's, I mean, it's obvious this government is wrong. So why would they be scared of? They're scared of death. I mean, everybody is scared of death. But if you know, well, it didn't that sound like you were for a while. <laughs> that, could, that could only have been Jesus. Uh, yeah. So, but and, just, you yeah, yeah. so. So that's, I guess that's my next question is, uh, uh-huh. is because I know, you know, we're getting close to having to wrap up, which I told yeah. you it was going to go really fast. I know. I It's, yeah, there will never be enough time. But, you know, for those that are listening in that are Muslim, what would you say that would maybe convince them to look toward Christianity? Because I, I so, and and you know that I, I've studied, I've studied this myself and I understand it's it's largely familial and cultural and it's the way things have always been and it's hard to break free of that thinking when to do so would cause dishonor <clears throat> to your family how how would you present the salvation that everyone can know through Jesus my own experience was that I um I see love in Christianity. Mm-hmm. I just learned about love, how you love each other, how you love your neighbor, how you love other people. Um, there are bad, good people everywhere you go, in every religion yes. you go. Absolutely. But if you believe, if you truly believe in God, you're not going to, you're going to love other people. So my only suggestion and that's what I exactly told my mom. I wished people would go and study other religions and come up with their own conclusion. I wish they would be exposed to other religions, especially Christianity. We've been taught only one way. And I, I wish people in my country had that chance. You know, if the, I, I'm sure you are aware, if I say I'm Christian now, um, I'm going to be executed. Yes. So in yeah. my country, that's that's the punishment. In Islam, that's the punishment. You can't go backward. You can go forward. You can become a, from Christianity or Judaism or anything. You can become Muslim, but you cannot become a Christian. Uh, if you become a Christian, you have to die. And that's what we've been told that Islam is telling us. That's why nobody goes out to study to see what Christianity is about. It's the, the fear of being um, judged or executed or anything else like that. But I wish I wish there was a way for especially younger generation to study and don't lose their faith before they lose their faith to go ahead and study Christianity and know about it, mm-hmm. know about what kind of a, any religion. I mean, just go and learn about other religions and see 
God is not what they told us he is in, in my country. Mm-hmm. He's not. Well, and then you reach a point more. like you and I both did in, mm-hmm. in, and and just said, okay, well, I'm tired of hearing what everybody else has to say. I'm going to go straight we to the source. To. Exactly. Who are you? I yeah, want to know who exactly. you are. Exactly. And that's when I understood you're right. You know, if you go to yeah. the if you go to God and you and you love God, God will lead you to his son and his plan yeah. for salvation, yeah. which is through the the blood of Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it and it just makes the most sense. And I've studied every religion on earth as well. Mm-hmm. And it is really truly the only religion where love wins. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the only thing that makes sense and it's the only thing that covers all the things that we uh, that we do wrong here, all of the yeah. sin, and yeah. we can be assured of eternal life. And it's, wow, it's just so exciting. And it, and I, uh, you know, getting back to the bravery component here today, you know, I want to, I want to leave you with one more question. I want to leave our listeners with one more question that I have for you. Mm-hmm. And that is, what else would you say to those listening in about, about this day in an age that we live in? It's sort of a call to action as far as I'm concerned. I, I, you know, my, my thinking is holding you up as an example, mm-hmm. you know, and I talked to you about this ahead of time. I've been in church groups and others where I've heard mm-hmm. women say, well, as a believer, I know we're mm-hmm. called to think on good things. And of course, that is absolutely what I say too. Scripture tells us that we are to think on those things that are holy and noble and good and excellent and praiseworthy. But at the same time, we can't. We can't hide our heads in the sand and we no. have to be very mindful of what's going on so that we can affect change because all it takes for evil to flourish yeah. is for good people to be complacent. And so in this day and age where we were born for this season and in this time, and this is a great time. And I know heaven is cheering us on. We are actually really fortunate to be alive on the planet right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we are given an opportunity to partnership and, and to change things. But that starts with, obviously bravery and truth telling and all of the things that maybe we we tend to shy away from well i'd much rather deal with this over here than to deal with that over there mm-hmm. what would you say to that tanine so i can i can give you a short answer with just a backup um first of all educate yourself we are at the yeah. age of human life that we have access to everything yes a lot of educational material a lot. A great answer. So you yeah. cannot use excuse that I'm living in a village in, um, in um, I don't know Africa, Iran, Middle East, or wherever, and I don't have access to anything. Everybody has access to internet. Everybody does. To some extent, everybody has access to internet. They do. It's your yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. What do you want to study? What do you not want to? Don't close your eyes. Educate yourself. Educate yourself about yourself. Educate yourself. Um, about your religion, your values, your beliefs, and then decide which which way you want to go. Um, second thing is uh, that you talked about bravery. Bravery is not just going and fighting or talking loud or being not being scared. I mean, I educate myself and then I talk. I, it took me forever to like a few months. It's four months the revolution is going on in my country, and I debated it should I talk about it should I be loud about it or not but I finally when you when you asked me to come on the podcast I was open I was ready I was like um and this is what I want to tell everybody inaction is action yeah that's what it sure is inaction is action silence kills people don't be the woman of silence don't sit down 
and not do anything that could even damage more people than doing something. Hmm. I love that. That is absolutely the best advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're right, because to sit back and to do nothing is to allow everything else to happen. Exactly. And you're you're here for a reason. And the other thing is, you know, the seasons we talk about, some people say, well, I'm too busy because I've got little ones at home, or I'm older now. And I don't think what I have to say is relevant. Make no mistake, my friends, you Mm -hmm. are here in this season, because you are called to this to a very special Mm -hmm. purpose, regardless of your age, regardless of your own personal season, the season at large is one where if you don't speak, someone else will. Yes. And it may not be the force for good. So we need to all band together and take action there. I just feel so strongly about this, which is yeah. why the timing is just perfect, my friend, because yes. this is this is a great way to start the season mm-hmm. and a new year. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I am so honored to know you. <laughs> I read your bio Thank again you. this morning I and I started too. crying. And then oh. just before I we started recording today, I started tearing up again. And I just, just marvel at the ways of our God too, that yeah. he would seat two women who love him together in a coffee shop. Yeah. One from California, one from Iran, mm-hmm. and unite them in Kansas City for a common purpose. And think about it. We didn't even talk back then. And we have to talk now, which is more appropriate because the the first woman led revolution in the human history is going on in my country. And we are talking about bravery and action and and women's uh, woman um, uh, activists. So this is the best and and how God is helping us and making us to um, to um, grow and inspire people. I think yeah. it's the best timing. It was the right timing. He didn't want us to talk back then. Yeah, I'm glad so. you said that because I'm feeling the same way. And yeah. I've always been so impressed with Middle Eastern women and felt as though we could learn a few things here in the United States, because mm-hmm. even just the women that were going up against the Taliban, in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Right. We're all over here holding our tongues because we don't want to get insulted on social media. <laughs> oh, my God. I, no. Right? Yeah, I know. So, I know. Well, I see it every day. You don't want to talk even in your, um, I don't know, in grocery store. You're standing and you think something unjust. And I see so many people are just looking at it and doing nothing. And I'm like, why don't you say anything? English <laughs> is my second language. And I'm going to say something. I'm sorry, but this is wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm just I'm that person behind you. If you don't say please or thank you to the person you're ordering coffee from, I have to bite my tongue. And sometimes if you're rude enough, I'll say, you know, a little please or thank you would Mm -hmm. go a long way. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Tanine, for being on my show today. And I'd love to have you back. And we'll talk about some other things because we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. And I'm so, so I'm so proud of all that you've done and that you're continuing to do your nursing Thank career, you. the way you. you've raised Still your children. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's all so Thank good. You. And what a beacon you are for truth and light Thank and color you. in the world. So Thank you. And so are you. Well, thank you, my friend. To other people. Yes. Thank you for taking our voice to other people. 
Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my calling. And for the rest of you listening today, thank you so much for listening with us. And just please remember that wherever you find yourself today, you are called to unveil truth for color and to light the world with color. And I hope that you continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts and on Grace and Truth Radio World. This is Janet Huxley, J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating dynamic purpose, relevance, restoration, and the renewal of your mind in all places and all seasons on Color Speak.